You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Good morning, church. Uh, I'm Jake, one of the pastors here. want to welcome you today. Uh, I am feeling a smidge under the weather, uh, so if I hack up something in the middle of this talk, we're just going to designate this the splash zone. The rest of you, the rest of you should be good. Uh, we are uh, continuing a series today uh, called Multiply. It's about making, multiplying disciples of Jesus. And today we're specifically talking about multiplying through sharing your faith. Uh, last month in the Sermon on Boldness, I shared with you this statistic uh, about the Treasure Valley uh, from the City Network, which is a church planting network that we're a part of. And it is worth repeating for this message. So when you compare Boise to other cities, this is their findings. It's one of the least religious metro areas in the country. 57% of Ada County has no religious affiliation, which is higher than Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, or Boston. Around 15% identify as Protestant, and we estimate that around 7% are in a gospel church in any given week. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I get a little bit overwhelmed. It's like, how do we reach the 90-something percent of people who aren't in a gospel church every single week? Uh, How do we reach the Treasure Valley? How do we reach Boise, our streets? Um, The the answer uh, is not maybe what you were thinking. In one of Tim Keller's last books, he references this statistic from Michael Green's book on evangelism in the early church. And he says, Michael Green estimates that 80% or more of evangelism in the early church was done not by ministers or evangelists, but by ordinary Christians explaining themselves to their network of relatives and close associates. People paid attention to the gospel because someone they knew well, worked with, someone they perhaps loved, spoke to them about it. So we often think, okay, who's going to do it? I know, my pastor's going to do it. My pastor's going to reach and evangelize the valley, right? Well, actually, Reaching the valley isn't primarily going to come through pastors, evangelists, revivals, church services. It's actually going to come through you. It's going to come through you in your ordinary, everyday life, uh, sharing Jesus with those who are in your personal network. And we call that personal evangelism. Now, some of you, when you hear that word evangelism, perhaps you threw up in your mouth a little bit, and I get that. I get that. Uh, we have an allergic reaction to that word because uh, we think, as soon as we hear that, we imagine the person on the street corner, on the soapbox, with the megaphone, shouting at people, right? Uh, it happens down at BSU campus all the time. Uh, that's what we often think of, but that's not what we're talking about, right? That's not what we're talking about. When Josh opened this series, he talked about the end goal, the chief goal of a disciple, what true health looks like is to... Love God, love people, the two greatest commands, right? So we're not going to reach people by shouting at them with a bullhorn. Uh, We're going to reach them through our small sacrificial acts of love that lead to these conversations about Jesus. Now, the reality is, even if you're doing it in that way, you still might feel a little bit awkward. Uh, Rebecca Pippert 
She says, Christians and non-Christians alike have something in common. We're both uncomfortable about evangelism. I like that. It's honest, right? Can we just admit it? It's a little bit uncomfortable. And one of the reasons we get uncomfortable is because we think, well, what if I don't have the, the answers to their questions? Or what if I say the wrong thing, right? What if I accidentally offend them? Well, today in our passage of Scripture, I want to help give you some practical tools. This is a very just practical message. I want to give you some tools on how to personally share your faith so that when that opportunity does arise, uh, that you'll not only feel ready, equipped, but you'll also feel excited, excited to do so. Because the reality is sharing the gospel, getting to share our faith is one of the most exciting things we get to do in this lifetime. When I think back on uh, the highlights of my life, it's like these moments where I got to share my faith with other people. And so that's what we're looking at today. How do you do that? Now, for those of you who are here today and you're not a believer, you wouldn't identify as a Christian, I think this message will still apply to you, uh, primarily because I got all my personal evangelism tips uh, from Amway. So, do you want your life to be better, worse, stay the same? Better, worse, stay the same. It's basically a giant pyramid skin. That is personal evangelism. So, you'll learn some tips. But secondly, you're probably here because somebody invited you. Uh, maybe you're just curious about who Jesus is, intrigued about him. Well, what is so intriguing about him? Uh, why, did, why did the people who brought you here even care to share their faith? Why do Christians care to share their faith? It's because Jesus has changed our lives. Jesus has changed our lives, and we want that for you as well. That's why we care. And so I hope for you today that you walk away from this place knowing that Jesus loves you. He can change your life. He can change your eternal destiny. So with that, let's open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're just in a few verses today. And this is what Peter says. He says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good, doing what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Before we dig into this verse, we got to know kind of what's, what's going on so far. So Peter is writing to uh, this population of Christians who've been scattered throughout Asia Minor due to this uh, onslaught of persecution that has been happening. And this persecution, um, it surely could have involved violence, um, physical persecution, but most likely it, it mostly involves uh, a, a persecution that is more social and so these Christians that he's writing to are now living in a culture that is hostile to their very presence, which sounds perhaps a little bit familiar, right? Uh, being a Christian doesn't really earn you any credit or any brownie points in our culture today. Uh, maybe like it did perhaps back in the 50s, right? Like maybe you had some respect for just being known as a Christian, but not so today. And not even, it doesn't even just make you irrelevant or obsolete like maybe it did a few decades ago. Now, people might even identify you as somebody who's dangerous. And so it's, it's not favorable to be a Christian in our uh, society, and there's ever-increasing amounts of hostility, uh, social pressures against followers of Jesus. And you might have experienced that, especially when it comes to sharing uh, your faith. Um, John Mark Comer, in this book, 
practicing the way. We're going to stock our lobby with this. We already got 20 copies pre-ordered, but it's a simple book about following Jesus in our day and age. It's incredible, um, but there's this quote specifically about, like, what does Western persecution look like? Uh, for us in the democratic West, he says, literal death is not an imminent threat, but there is a kind of death involved if we bear witness to Jesus's gospel. A death to our reputation is cool or sophisticated or on trends. A death to others' moral estimation of us. A possible death to our career ambitions and more. To bear witness in our day often means we choose shame. But this is a small price compared to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So to follow Jesus, to share your faith in this day and age, it's going to come at some type of cost, inevitably. But Peter says, hey, even if you do suffer some type of death, maybe to your reputation, even to your career, he says, still, be eager to do good, zealous to do good, to truly live a life that follows Jesus, because God is going to bless you. That's what he says right here. God is going to bless you in this life and especially in the life to come. Now, what, is, what does all this have to do with personal evangelism? Well, Peter knows that how you handle yourself in times of hostility or in moments like that of persecution on whatever type of level, it can actually be the key to bringing the people who are hostile towards you to Christ. So he makes this explicitly clear one chapter earlier in 1 Peter 2.12 when he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So keep doing, be zealous to do good to other people. So even if they speak against you, a bad word against you, that they might see your good deeds, the good things you're doing for them, uh, for this city, for the Lord, and they might glorify God. So the point is this, how you live your life, especially in times of hostility, how you live your life is part of how you share your faith. It's part of how you share your faith. It's actually how you live your life is a tool for evangelism. Your life speaks, and it speaks to those who don't know about Jesus, about Jesus. Uh, let me give you an example. I just finished this incredible book called Dreams and Visions by Tom Doyle, and it's about how God is moving in huge ways, miraculous ways in the Middle East. Uh, if you want to know where revival is happening, the biggest revival is happening in our day and in our age is in the Middle East. God is moving hugely there. And he shares this story uh, about a Christian man, a Syrian Christian man named Adel. Uh, and he has this house church uh, that he uh, oversees. And, um, and they, one night, um, he gets arrested because the secret police come and find him. And they take him to this max security prison, uh, which is known by uh, the inmates there as the torture chamber. And he, night after night, he's like hearing people just like screaming, screaming. And so he gets arrested there. He specifically uh, gets in, arrested and interrogated by a man named Muhammad. 
Uh, and so while uh, Adol is in prison, um, he's thinking like, okay, well, these are my last days. Like however many days, weeks, maybe months that I have to live, it's going to be right here. And so he decides to make the most of it. And he is sharing his faith with every other prisoner that he comes in contact with. And at night, uh, he is singing hymns, singing songs of worship, and reciting the psalms from memory, knowing that he has a captive audience right on the other side of those bars, his guards who are standing watch over him. Now, by a miraculous set of circumstances, he actually gets let go. He gets freed uh, to go back to his home. Now, a few days later, he's meeting with his house church again in his home, and they get a pounding on the door, and he opens the door, and he finds Muhammad, and the whole church is thinking, oh, are we all getting arrested now? Like, is he going back to prison? What's the deal? They're freaked out. They're nervous, and Muhammad comes in, and he says, I have a confession to make. I was secretly standing by as you were singing as you were reciting these psalms night after night, and the word of God pierced through my heart. And he says, I want to become a follower of Jesus. And so the whole church comes, rallies, prays, puts their hands on him, and prays over him, and he asks for forgiveness uh, for the ways that he has caused their lives to be so miserable, and they're forgiving him, and tears, and like, think about how all that began with a guy in the midst of some of the worst persecution you can imagine, um, he is dedicating himself to, I'm going to follow Jesus with my life to the very end. So how he lived his life brought this man who was very far from God to the Lord, into the kingdom, and not only that, but Muhammad became a great, has become a great evangelist himself. So how you live your life is part of how you share your faith. Now, that might be a little bit of an extreme example for us here in uh, the West. Like, you're probably not going to get locked up uh, in the same way that he did. Um, but the reality is so millions of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world do experience these types, this level of persecution today. There's more martyrs today than there ever has been in the history of the church. But for our sake uh, for our Western context, let me give you just a silly little example from my life, all right? So when I was a junior in high school, got my first job, which was installing sprinkler systems in Tigard, Oregon. Uh, it was basically like the movie Holes. Uh, just imagine me, Shia LaBeouf, every day, digging, digging. I showed up my first day. They go, you know how to dig a hole? I'm like, yeah, I know how to dig a hole. I start digging, they're like, you don't know how to dig a hole. I'm like, my bluff has been called. So, learned how to dig. My boss was a pretty mean guy. Uh, and all my coworkers were way older than me. They were uh, either illegal immigrants or ex-convicts. So, learned a lot from them that summer. Uh, they had a lot of nicknames for me. Uh, junior, you know, Junior, go grab that shovel. The other one, that was the nice one. Um, the other one was Virgin. <coughs> Sometimes Junior Virgin. Lots, lots of names, lots of names. Uh, but I had, uh, I had been a follower of Jesus for about a year and a half at that point, and I was 
trying to do my best to follow Jesus uh, on the job sites every day. And at the end of that summer, uh, I was riding in the pickup with two of my coworkers. One guy was probably in his early 60s, the other guy late 40s. And the older gentleman, uh, he tells me um, that he is thankful for how I worked, how I lived my life, because it encouraged him in his faith. And I, I didn't know. I didn't know he was a believer, and it encouraged him in his faith. And then the guy sitting next to him, who was definitely not a Christian because he just got out for being a Coke dealer, um, <laughs> learned a lot from him, too. And he told me the same thing. He's like, you know, I, I respect your work ethic. We always, we always give you a hard time, but, like, I respect your work ethic, and I, expect, I respect how you live your life for God. And I was like, whoa. Like, that totally shocked me. And I wasn't doing anything super special, wasn't being an extra credit Christian or anything. I was just attempting to follow Jesus uh, in my day-to-day job, and it led to some pretty cool conversations. So how you live your life is part of how you share your faith. So let me ask you, how are you living your life? How are you living your life? What kind of work ethic do you have? What kind of employee or coworker are you? Uh, what kind of neighbor are you? Do your neighbors look to you as somebody they come to for help? Um, what kind of friends are you? Like when your non-Christian friends look at your life, do they see Christ in you? How are you living your life? So Peter moves on from how we live our lives in the midst of hostility to now the main obstacle that often holds us back from sharing our faith. So pick up your text again. This is 1 Peter 3, 14. Uh, He says this, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. So what's the biggest obstacle that holds us back from sharing our faith? Fear. Fear of maybe being rejected, thought of as less, fear of not knowing what to say, saying the wrong thing, all these fears that are in our minds. And Peter says, have no fear of them. Don't be troubled. Don't be frightened. Don't be intimidated. And instead, instead of filling our hearts with fear, what does he say to fill our hearts with? He says this in the the ESV, uh, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. NIV, revere Christ as Lord. The message, keep your hearts in adoration before Christ. And NLT, which is one of my favorite translations just to read at home, is instead of fear, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. So instead of filling your heart with fear, what we're called to fill our hearts with is worship. Because worship frees us from fear to then be able to share our faith. Think about new believers, for instance, right? They're like the pinnacle of this. Uh, Nobody is better at evangelism than new believers. Why? Because they got the joy of salvation freshly in their hearts. And they're worshiping. They're just so excited. They want to share it. Hey, this just happened to me. Jesus just changed my life. I want him to change your life too. This is incredible, right? They're worshiping Jesus and it overflows into sharing their faith. And so instead of fear, if you want to expel fear from your heart, If you want to get the excitement to go and share your faith, start worshiping. Start worshiping like we're doing here this morning. Start worshiping. Uh, I asked the staff this week if they had any personal stories of evangelism. And Shara, one of our kids' directors, uh, she gave me the go-ahead to share this story. She told me about a time a few years ago 
when uh, she was going to a friend's wedding. And on her way there, on her flight, uh, she was reading this book that's all about the joy that we have in Christ. And so she's reading this book just like getting overflowed with this joy and excitement. And they go to the wedding. And then after that wedding, um, they go to a bar with some old friends. And as soon as they sit down, she goes, guys, what do you think about Jesus? And they go, oh, Jesus, Shara. She's like, yeah, him. What do you think about him? And they have this several hour long conversation. And they truly are like lobbing some hard questions at her. Um, But they walked away from that uh, having a newfound curiosity about Jesus, uh, a new mental picture of who Jesus is. Now, what was Shara doing before this? She was filling her heart with worship. And it was just overflowing. I got to share this. I got to share the joy of Christ with my friends who don't know him. So worship frees you from fear to share your faith. So how are you actively filling your heart with worship day in and day out? How are you actively filling your heart with worship? Maybe like Shara, it's reading some books that do that for you. That's one of my favorite ways. Coming to church, singing with the body of believers, uh, listening to a sermon podcast, getting out into nature, experiencing the beauty of God, diving deep into scripture, specifically the Psalms, which are the, the worship book of God's people. Fill your heart with worship. So Peter now moves from how to free our hearts uh, from fear to how do we actually share our faith. So First Peter 3.15 Uh, says this, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So this is what he says. The first thing to know about sharing your faith is this, always be prepared. Always be prepared because Peter knows opportunities to share your faith, they most often happen spontaneously. They most often happen spontaneously. You never know when it's going to happen. And so be ready when the time does. And this has certainly been my experience. It's like in my neighborhood or uh, at some of my previous jobs or with friends. It's like they just happen to ask me a question about my life, about my faith. And it's like, oh, okay, I guess I better be ready to respond. Um, For instance, at a family reunion several years ago, I happened to be sitting at a table with uh, my mom's cousin's new boyfriend, all right? So never met him before. This is his first time at like a family reunion thing. He's in his late 50s, uh, and I just happened to ask him just a few conversational questions, normal questions. He starts telling me about uh, his Catholic upbringing, which he hated, apparently. So I was like, oh, we're off to a great start. And he launched into asking me some questions about my life and my faith. And so I just was sharing with him a little bit. It was like a 15-minute conversation, nothing to write home about, honestly. And uh, after that, we, you know, I came back to Boise. That was in Portland area. And uh, that was beginning of the summer. In the fall, I get a call from my parents And they're like, hey, uh, Bill is on his deathbed. He's probably going to be passing away any day now. And I was like, oh, man, that's that's really sad. And I was thinking, you know, they're they're just calling to tell me the news. And they go, and his dying wish is to see you one more time. And I'm like, what? (laughs) 
I'm like, I talked to this guy for 15 minutes. And I'm like, why is that? What's the deal? And they said, um, our conversation like totally reignited his faith. And uh, he has just been so excited about the Lord. And he just wants to see you one more time before he goes to see the Lord. I'm like, okay. So hopped on a flight that day. Uh, went and saw him, and part of the miraculous element of it is, is that he had been kind of cognitively out of it for about three weeks, um, not super coherent, but on the day that I arrived, he was perfectly with it in his right mind. Uh, we were able to talk, uh, share, pray together. He was just telling me how much he loves Jesus. Uh, he's been in the Word every day. He's been turning on the TV to listen to the TV preachers, and uh, he's just so excited to go uh, be with Jesus in heaven. And so I got to pray with him uh, that evening, which was one of the highlights of my life, huge privilege. And I went back home, uh, hopped on a flight. I was not uh, in Portland in more than 24 hours. Got back here. The next day, he passed away. And he went to be with the Lord. So that all started with a random, spontaneous to me, seemingly insignificant conversation about faith, right? It just happened. And so always be prepared. That's the first thing that Peter tells us because you never know how God is going to use you. But what are you supposed to prepare? What are you supposed to be prepared for? Peter says, always be prepared to make a defense. Now, this verse honestly used to scare me. It used to scare me because I only really paid attention to that part. Be prepared to make a defense. That word defense is the Greek word apologia, which is where we get our word apologetics. So I always thought, okay, well, I guess I need to always be prepared to make like an airtight case for Christianity, refute every single point that anybody lobs at me. Like I need to be the master of apologetics, right? That was what I thought. But that's actually not what the full verse says. And that's not actually what works in reality, right? Most people don't often come to faith through apologetics or a debate. Uh, when I was a college pastor, I had this student who was coming, this BSU student who was coming for months, and I happened to uh, learn that he was not a believer. I was like, we got to get together. So brought, got him out to coffee, Starbucks on Glenwood, took him out, and uh, he tells me, he's like, yeah, I'm a self-proclaimed atheist. I'm like, okay, why do you come to church every week, man? Like, you're, you're one of our most faithful. And, <clears throat> and he's like, well, I, I love being around Christians. I'm like, okay. And he's like, I just don't believe what you guys believe. I'm like, Okay. And so we had a conversation. He starts uh, grilling me about the origins of the Bible. And I'm like, whoa, this guy, like, he actually knows his stuff. He knows more than your average Christian. I'm like, okay. Uh, unfortunately for him, I had just taken a semester-long class that was all about that. It was a class that bored me the most in my whole master's program, but it did come in handy here. And so after an hour of going in circles, talking with this guy, uh, defending the origins of the Bible, honestly, I was winning, uh, refuting every single point <laughs> that he was throwing at me. But at the end of that hour, I was just thinking, like, this isn't really getting us anywhere. Like, honestly, I'm like, this, this isn't uh, doing anything. And so I just kind of sat back for a second thinking, praying, okay, Holy Spirit, give me, what am I supposed to do here? Like, give me the next step. Like, what do, what do we do? This question popped into my mind. And so 
I looked at him and I said, have you ever experienced God? And he sits back in his chair, because he was like this, you know, he's like ready to fight. Um, sits back in his chair, he's like thinking, he's like, no. And I was like, well, would you like to? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I did not see that coming. <laughs> yeah, he does want to experience God. So that, <laughs> that did, did winning an apologetics argument work? No, that's not what happened in that conversation. Uh, what happened was me asking him a question about his experience with God. So at the end of the day, apologetics aren't usually what bring people into the kingdom of God, and that actually is good news for you because you don't have to be a master of apologetics. You don't have to be able to make an airtight case for Christianity or defend the origins of the Bible. But what does Peter say that you do have to be able to do. You have to be able to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You got to be prepared to share your hope. So share your faith by sharing how Jesus has given you hope. It's as simple as that. Think about your life before Jesus I know for me, truly, there was, so, there was a lot of hopelessness. There was even times of despair. Um, there was t- I, I felt like so much shame over my sin. How am I going to get out of that? I don't know how you get out of that. It felt hopeless. Hopeless about like, just the aimlessness, don't, no direction in my life, uh, my identity, who am I? Like Just feeling hopeless, feeling lost. But that truly did change overnight when I gave my life to Christ In the waters of baptism, my sophomore year of high school on Christmas Eve Sunday, which this year is Christmas Eve, landing on a Sunday, 17 years ago for me. And so everything changed that day, full of hope, full of direction, full of meaning, uh, full of the grace of the Lord that he had given me. And I am more sure of that hope today than I was even 17 years ago. The hope of heaven fills my heart. And so for, for, all, for those of us who are believers, we are people of hope. And in this Christmas season, what do people need from us? They need us to share our hope for them. Because this, this is one of the darkest times of the year. Not only like outside, right? <laughs> it gets dark at like 3 o'clock these days. Um, it's not only that, but it's the spiritual darkness. It's the, it's the emotional darkness. People need you to share your faith, to share the hope that you have. And for those of you who don't know Jesus, who are not a Christian, and you, you're like, I want this hope that everybody keeps talking about. I want the hope to be freed from this shame, this anxiety, uh, this hope to have a future, a promise, this hope to have heaven as a part of my future, my life. And the good news is you can receive Jesus in that hope today. You can pray that prayer. You can sign up to get baptized in the waters of baptism, which we're gonna get to witness in just a few minutes. Can we just celebrate that? 
Really excited for that. Uh, we also, so we have a Thursday night service, and we also had uh, a couple who is getting married this next week. They got baptized last Thursday night, uh, young married, uh, about to be young married couple. And so God is moving in that way. But if you want to do that, sign up today. We'd love to talk to you more. Uh, but as followers of Jesus, that's the thing we're called to share is our hope, to make a defense for our hope. But Peter tells us not only what we are to share, but how we're to do so. So this is the last part of our verse in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Do you think that's what people think about Christians? <laughs> Gentle, respectful, oh, yeah, that's most of them. Uh, when you turn on the news, like that's, that's, most people don't think about Christians that way. Uh, when they look at social media, when they look at the news, would people in your life think of you as someone who is gentle and respectful? And if not, like, why would we think that they would want to hear about Jesus from us, right? So Peter says, okay, not only here's what you share, your hope, but here's how you share it with gentleness and respect. Because how we share is just as important as what we share, and part of how we share our faith is not only answering, answering people's questions, but it's also in the way that we listen. Because listening to someone in and of itself is a way to show respect towards them. Uh, and listening actually might have even more to do with sharing our faith than answering questions does. In a recent stat from Barna, they found that the top thing that people are looking for in a conversation with a Christian is that they listen without judgment. So that's the number one thing that the non-Christians in your life are looking for from you when it comes to sharing your faith. And part of being a good listener is also that you are good at asking questions, right? So that you can be prepared to listen. Uh, my friend John Strain, he has uh, this book, right here. It's an awesome little book about sharing your faith, super practical guide. It's called You Gotta Ask. Uh, but he formulated uh, what's called the platinum question. And we'll get to that in just a second here. But he shares this story about uh, how in the valley here, he was meeting with some guys, uh, men's Bible study early in the morning. Um, he gets the, the check and the waitress, he asked her, he says, hey, Sam, you know, you've been listening to us talk about God, talk about life would you mind if I asked you an interesting question? And I'm not looking for the perfect answer. I'm just looking for your answer. And she goes, yeah, that's, I mean, sure. Yeah, what is it? And he goes, okay, here it is. So this is the platinum question, if you want to write this down. Assuming there is a God, and you could ask God anything, what would you ask him? And she goes, whoa. She goes, hmm, hmm. And the guys are like thrown off, like, what is about to happen? And she goes, why? Why am I here? What's the point of all this? And he looks at her and he goes, that is a very important question. And then she walked off and did the rest of her job. Like, that was it, right? But do you think that question was perhaps swirling in her mind, causing her to think, man, what if there is more to this? What if I actually could ask God that very question? And so our questions have a lot to do with us 
listening and sharing our faith. And John goes on to say that most people are privately wondering about significant God questions. The opportunity to voice them and to be listened to without judgment is very rare. Learning how people are experiencing God informs us how to invite them to take their next step. So let me give us some next steps for always being prepared. Five ways to prepare. Five preparations. Number one is this. Be prepared to ask a good question, just like my man John. Be prepared to ask a good question, because that can change so much. You don't have to do anything. You just have to ask a question and let them kind of work it out in their own minds. That question, have you ever experienced God? Like, not only was significant in that conversation I had with my atheist college student, but I also got to share the gospel with somebody else using that very question and got to baptize this guy within uh, a year of that. So be prepared to ask good questions, which inevitably leads us to listening. Be prepared to actively listen. Don't think about your response while somebody else is talking to you, sharing with you. No. Actively listen to them, engage with them. Uh, Because in our day and age, when nobody listens to anybody else, to listen is to love. It's an act of love. So be prepared to listen. Be prepared to respond with gentleness and respect. So what we need to do is actually be doing that in our day-to-day lives, building the habits of gentleness, respect, so that when that moment does come to share our faith, we're able to do it in a way that is gentle and respectful. Number four, prepare your life, prepare to let your life speak. I think this is one of the number one reasons uh, why people have approached me uh, about my faith, is they ask me about my life. Uh, Whether I was working at a bagel shop, me and Josh, don't know if you knew that, over a decade ago, worked at a bagel shop together. And that was a place of ministry uh, for me. I, and I wasn't trying to make it that, but my coworkers just kept asking uh, me about my faith. Um, be prepared to let your life speak. Um, your life is a tool in and of itself for evangelism. Um, and you don't have to be like the perfect Christian. You're not going to have it all together, and that's, that's okay, right? Um, but attempt to follow Jesus in your everyday life, and I promise you, people will start asking questions. Uh, I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases our passage when he says, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks you why you're living the way you are. Why are you living the way that you are? And number five, lastly, is to be prepared to share your hope. Maybe today you make a list of all the reasons, all the ways that Jesus has personally given you hope. Hope to be freed from your past. Hope for today. The hope, the greatest hope of heaven. As we close, let me read an incredible, one of the most powerful, beautiful passages on hope, which is from the book of First Peter itself, when he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for.
Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.